All right. Welcome back to the Lindroff Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions LLC. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroff. Dad, how are you doing today? Andrew, doing great. And we're actually in Indianapolis. Uh, we went to our conference here, uh, drumming conference, and that went well. And our guest today, you've been trying to get on for the past couple months. This guy is the hottest guy, yep. uh, not only in hockey, but on Netflix. The guy's probably a multi-billionaire by now, but go ahead. Give us the intro. Everybody <laughs> knows what, where we're going with this. Yeah, I think I harassed his PR team enough for the email. So we, we're very excited to announce our guest today, AJ Galante. So AJ is obviously very well known as a 17-year-old manager for the infamous Danbury Trashers from 2004 to 2006. And if you've watched the documentary, Untold Crimes and Penalties on Netflix, and you will understand the wild and absolutely insane story that is the Danbury Trashers. You'll always find this guy with a smile on his face, and he's not only now somebody very famous for a story like this, but someone who also shares the same love for the game of hockey that my father and I do, and that is why we are excited to announce our guest today, AJ Galante, man. Thanks for joining us today. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks so much. Man, so AJ, I want to just start from the beginning. So obviously in the documentary, you know, you started to uh, talk about um, you found your love for the game, especially through uh, uh, the Mighty Ducks movie. Um, but obviously the bad boys uh, image came from probably something else. I know you had mentioned the 70s and the Flyers, but what really started to, you wanted to build that bad boys hockey, what influenced that? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, um, before hockey, I mean, pro wrestling was really my first love, you know, and, uh, you know, WWF, I mean, I've been to I feel like a hundred events, you know, locally here. and um, you know, I always, I always, and, and still to this day, I watch it, but I, I, I've always personally enjoyed the bad guy characters, right? So, you know, the heel characters, those are always the guys that I personally was, was driven to because when I used to go to the events, it, they always had like a feel to them. Like when they came out, they would walk out slow or, you know, banter with the banter with the fans, et cetera. And, and, People just always, whether they liked them or didn't like them, they they loved they loved when they were around. They they just they had a feeling to to me for me personally. It just it just had a. So when we put this team together, we said, wouldn't it be something if we could possibly create like an image, almost like a heel wrestler? I know it sounds crazy, but you know we're like we we are a team that we if we market it right. People will hate us so bad outside of Danbury that whether they hate us or not, they're going to come see us because they, they want to see us lose. And, and ultimately, you know, like in wrestling, you know, that's the ultimate goal is no matter what happens, the bad guy always gets theirs in the end. And uh, people are waiting for that moment. And um, we, we, we put it together. It's, it sounds crazy, but that's uh, what we I, I, be I believe we ultimately accomplished. So obviously, big fan. You're a big fan of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, we'll we'll get to it later. Um, some of the other details on that. But what were some of the other maybe other teams or players that you grew up watching as you started to get into hockey? Yeah, I mean, when I when I when I started to get into hockey, like I said, I mean, where I'm from at the time in the early '90s wasn't really a hockey hotbed, right? So you know, we didn't even have an ice arena here. So I um. I became a Devils fan by default in a way because that was just the first NHL game I, I went to. And uh, I was probably seven or eight, maybe like eight years old. And, um, you know, I'll never forget. It was uh, New Jersey versus Pittsburgh. And and uh, I still remember like Yarmir Yager's hair going through. The, you know, I just, 
you know, I just, these are things you remember as a kid. And, um, but, you know, I would get like the Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em VHS tapes for Christmas. And, yeah. you know, I would watch guys, you know, I always tended to, to be attracted to more of like the, the um, I was drawn really into like the, the, the smaller guys, you know, like the smaller tough guys, like uh, Ty Domi, Wendell Clark, um, guys that weren't afraid to like stick their nose in, you know, Matthew Barnaby, all these pests. And, you know, guys that you hated, but if they were on your team, you would buy their jersey, home, away, alternate. I mean, that's just the type of guys that, you know, those are always the guys I like, those those pesky players. And, you know, some of the bigger guys, too, obviously. But I was always drawn to, to those type of players. Yeah, a freaking Sean Avery, probably the, yeah. the biggest rat of all time. Now, yes. I did see something. Did you ever try and contact Sean Avery no, or any of those were, rats like that? We were this close in 2004, uh, the 04-05, our first season when the lockout became official, official, the, the whole year was off. Uh, Sean was actually playing in our league part-time um, in the Detroit area. There was a Detroit team, Motor City, and they weren't going anywhere. And uh, it's funny, you had a few NHL players that came to our league, kind of stayed busy or whatever, and they were just going through the motions, but Sean was like, you would think he was in the NHL playoffs the way he was playing in this, in this league. Uh, we, came very, we came very close to getting him trading for him, but ultimately it just, it didn't go through, but it, uh, it would have been a match made in heaven for sure. Just to provide a little context for our listeners that are um, over in Europe and particularly UK. Uh, we love our UK listeners. Uh, I'm sure they got Netflix over there, but, AJ is a uh, renowned for being a 17-year-old GM, where, uh, lo and behold, this crazy story, you'll have to check out this Netflix documentary. Uh, you know, his dad buys a team for like half a million dollars in the uh, uh, UHL, and he's in charge of the team. And so we're talking about here his influences and how he put together that team. And for some of the other shenanigans, you'll have to watch the documentary, but that's what we're talking about here. So, AJ, we want to get right into... Uh, um, a little bit of the GM. So you're 17 years old. You're still going to high school and then you go on to college in New York. How the hell are you running a team? And it's not like it's just you're the GM by title and someone else is running the team. You're doing depth chart with your, with your staff. You're, you're, you're willing to, you got to deal with fucking agents, you know, and you're going to school. Well, I'm know? sure your dad was like, it's your job. Here's the reins. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, sure your dad was like, look, I, you got your team, but you better run it, son, and don't screw this up or you'll be the embarrassment of the family. That's what yes. I say to him all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, listen, you know what? Uh, that's basically how it went. You know, there's a lot of pressure. You know, it's a lot of pressure. It, you know, in the beginning, you know, after the shock factor wears off that this is happening and it's kind of cool for about a week, you know, you're walking around with your chest out, you're this, you're that, you feel good. And then it's like reality sets in, right? Like, Oh my God. Like, you know, cause again, it's not just a title. My dad doesn't operate like that. He's like, all right, well, you know, school of hard knocks, you're going to learn. And uh, it was, and that's what I try to tell people um, the immense amount of pressure. I, I, you know, we, it wasn't just me either. You know, I mean, I, I get a lot of credit and I, I really appreciate it more than you know, but we had a whole staff and team around us. But, um, you know, the amount of pressure I personally felt was enormous. I mean, uh, 
you know, my dad in his mind, we should have been able to go 82 and 0. You know what I mean? Like we, we're yeah. not supposed to lose, you know? And, um, you know, a lot of the times we rode together to and from the game. So we lose a game. I mean, guys, you know, they may get ripped into in the locker room, but they go home. You know, I get in the car with him <laughs> and uh, it's not pretty. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not pretty. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's tough sometimes, but it's the best learning experience I, I could have ever, ever had really. So the documentary does make a big deal. We'll kind of get the, you know, these, these allegations out of the way. So the documentary makes a big deal about how your dad was tied into some organized crime and, when my wife, uh, and my wife is an Okie, she loves hockey now, and we mm -hmm. go to we season ticket holders for our East Coast team, but she's a Midwestern. So for kind of our Midwestern listeners and our UK listeners, she's like, all right, so did you know, did you know anybody that was in, in the mob or the organized crime? And I kind of approach it to her this way. It's kind of like... Um, you don't ask anybody what they do for a living and what they do. And, and I actually have a childhood friend and his first name's Danny. And uh, I won't say his last name. And with Facebook years later, we connect. And, you know, my brother was uh, engaged to his aunt and his family and my family family were tied in pretty close back in the seventies, early eighties, long story short, I meet Danny again. And he actually, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, he owns four or five trucks. He's in waste management up in the North Shore in Massachusetts. And funny things are going on, but not once would I ever go, oh, that's like the Sopranos, the whole, oh, you must be in the mob, Danny. It's like, yeah. you don't, it, you might hear rumors, but you don't talk. It, he worked his ass off. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. a businessman. Now, whether or not he had connections to whatever, you don't ask anybody that. So I'm trying to tell my wife, like, you don't walk around going, oh, you know, look at him. He's, he, you know, right. So for yeah. the mid coast people, I think they think that people walk around that if they're, if they're doing anything that might be a little uh, uh, under the law or above the law that, you know, they wear a sign and that's not just the way that it is. So anyway, I, it, did I hit that right? I mean, that's our culture from new England, I think. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, listen, you know, I tell people all the time, you, you never hear me or my dad say Tony Soprano this or organize. I mean, these are things that get labeled. I mean, I, I don't know, but, you know, you know, you never hear us say stuff like that. And you being from the Northeast, I mean, here's the reality. I mean, back in the day, right? I mean, if you're in the Northeast, Everybody knows someone that knows someone that knows someone. So it's, exactly. it's, it doesn't, you know, everybody in the Northeast, you know, I mean, I don't personally know if it's like that still, but I mean, I know back in the day, I mean, you know, like you said, it's just, you, you don't, you don't ask. And it's kind of like, frankly, everyone knows someone anyway. It's, it's, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta um, be respectful because you just, you don't, you know, you just, Everyone in the Northeast, Boston, New York, that whole area, Philadelphia, um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a strange thing, but that's just you know how it was. Yeah. Does it ever get kind of old though when people kind of ask you straight up about some of those things, and it's just kind of like, yeah, but uh, well, talk about that. You know, you know, it's it's it, it's um. It, look, I've been I've been hearing things and and you know seeing things, I guess, since I was a little kid, you know, so it's kind of second nature, but at the same time, I mean, 
listen, it, it, it comes with the territory sometimes. I mean, um, it, there's a lot of stereotypes out there in, in all forms of life. You know, I mean, there, there's, uh, you know, doctors have hair, horrible handwriting. Right. So it's like, um, you know, <laughs> listen, it, it, it's one of those things where I don't personally take offense to it. Um, I don't personally like being compared to AJ Soprano because that kid's a moron. But other than that, I don't. But 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 other than that, um, I don't know. I, I don't get tired of it. I mean, and I don't really pay too much attention to it, to be honest with you. I just, um, you know, I just do my thing. And I'm kind of used to it at this point, to be honest with you. It's kind of, you know, you just just used to it. So let's get into the into the hockey. So you 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 have the uh, the old WW. Well, WWE used to be WWF, Andrew, by the way. And, uh, and I, by the way, Andrew and I, uh, in the 2000s, we lived in Tampa, Florida. We used to go to the FCW Wrestling, which is actually the minors development yeah. for, for them. So uh, we used to go all the time. So we understand that whole wrestling, uh, you know, these guys working on their gimmicks. So yeah. you, you got that gimmick in your mind. You, you're looking to be the heel and you understand the entertainment factor. But you got to put together a real team, uh, real hockey players that have families and this is a business. So what was a big learning curve for you when you said, okay, you know, it'd be great. It'd be fun to do this and that, but now you, now you got to be the business guy. Well, listen, you know, it, it, it's that whole gimmicky stuff. Um, the toughness, the feist, the craziness, that's all great. If you're winning, um, if you're losing, it's going to get old real quick, you know? And, and that's one thing, you know, I, I got to credit my dad for that one. He, he always used to say like, look, in the beginning, if it was up to me, I'd have four straight lines full of goons. That's all it would have been. But um, my dad, you know, he said, look, AJ, you know, that's great. But if we're losing six to two every night, people are going to tune out. At the end of the day, winning is what matters. And, um, you know, so we had to find a balance, right? And, um, you know, we, we, you, you got to balance everything out. You know, you, you, you got to um, everything from managing personalities. Like you got to know the type of guys you're bringing in. You got to know that these guys, did you have a locker room issue with these two from juniors years ago? I mean, there's so many little intricate things you learn. And I learned on the job, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know, but you learn, um, you do your homework on guys, you know, you kind of get, you, you kind of get opinions on some guys with other guys and, you know, whose wives don't like each other and this and that it's, it's some, it's, it's the littlest thing that could cause a huge issue. Right. So you got to do your homework. A lot of the off ice stuff is important, but um, you know, the on ice stuff, to be honest with you, <clears throat> you know, I get a lot of credit in the doc for being kind of analytical. Um, and I was to a certain extent, but to be honest with you, I didn't really overthink it too much. Like, um, I think stats today are so above and beyond nuts to me, in my opinion. Um, don't get me wrong. I paid a lot of attention to stats at the time because I had no choice. I knew nothing. I, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know agents. I didn't know coaches. I, I didn't have sources. But honestly, you know, if I see a guy scoring 30 plus goals the last four seasons, I'm just assuming he can score a goal. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not overthinking it. You know, nowadays they break down when they score goals, uh, uh, what type of goal. I don't care if it's a goal, it's a goal to me. I, I do the eye test. If he looks good to me, okay, let's do it. Like, you know, I mean, uh, 
I don't overly think too much about it. You know, I could tell pretty, pretty, pretty early on if something could potentially work or not. Now, not everything worked, but for the most part, we, 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 we pressed the right buttons. Was there a specific moment where after, you know, you're, you got your head held out the first week, you're, you're this new GM, and then the pressure of actually having to do the job, as we kind of mentioned earlier, your dad being like, no, like you're the GM. I mean, this is for real. It's, it's your job. I mean, when did that, was there a moment where you sat there and you're like, holy shit, this is not what I expected. Now, like this, I'm in over my head a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean immediately like um you know the first night like when it came out in the paper i was like i i I didn't sleep i was like i gotta get out of this like i can't do it but i gave him my word at dinner that night i would do it whether i thought it was a joke or not you know so i had to do it um you know it's weird i can't really pinpoint a moment where i felt overwhelmed because i felt overwhelmed all the time you know it was like um a lot of pressure you know, in you know, but when you're in the thick of something, you don't, you you know, the adrenaline, you don't really feel it. I'm 35 now. So now I look back and I could kind of say, okay, you know, in retrospect, but you know, sometimes it's like when you're in the moment of something, you just figure ways to get something done. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but sometimes that's just how it is. It's like when you hear about like mothers lifting a car to get their baby, you know what I mean? Like, Right. Sometimes you just summon a strength inside that you don't even know you have. So, you know, the documentary, of course, is going to go for the the, the entertaining uh, headlines and everything. And like you just said, you know, you can't have uh, three, four, five fights a game and lose. So the documentary talks about all the big heavyweights you had in and all the shenanigans going on. But talk to us about the goal scores and how did you put together a team uh, that that balances out those heavyweights so that you score goals so that you're going to win the game. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, so we had two seasons and um, the documentary, unfortunately, because of the time restraints, they had to kind of mash both seasons into one. But, you know, the first season, we had a lot of skilled players. We had Brent Gretzky, obviously, was highlighted, you know, a little bit in the doc. Um, we had a, We had Bruce Richardson. Mike Bayrack. I mean, these were guys that loved playing for our team because we had so much toughness on the team that opposing players wouldn't even poke check these guys because they knew they'd have a problem, you know, and uh, these guys were putting up career numbers with us and they loved it. You know, they loved, they had a lot of ice to skate. I mean, um, we had a lot of guys um, having career years just because of, just everything we built, um, you know, guys weren't physical with our skilled players. They couldn't, you know, they'd have a serious issue. So these guys were putting up, even if they weren't like perennial all-stars, they were having all-star style seasons because there was so much space to skate. So what was your communication like with, with the head coach of the team? And I, I don't think the head coaches mentioned a lot of the doc. Yeah. I feel bad about that actually. Yeah. It was like, I was going to ask who's the coach in all this. You know, we, we had two coaches for both years. The first coach, the first year was a young coach. It was actually his first coaching job ever. He was a young guy. Uh, his name was Todd Sterling. He actually was, um, his father at the time was the Islanders head coach. I forget what his first name was, but um, great guy, up and coming coach. 
unfortunately for him, it was one of those situations where, you know, it was like between everything my father and I were doing, the players kind of policed themselves. You know, he was a good coach, but I don't think he got the credit he deserves because we were just doing what we wanted. You know I mean? The players, you know, they were kind of like, <laughs> they were, they were kind of freestyling out there. And, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of noticed after the first season that, you know, and this isn't a knock on Todd cause he's a good, he was a great coach, but the players were looking more to us to like give direction. So the second year we brought in a, a veteran uh, head coach named Paul Gillis, great coach, old school guy, but same thing, you know, it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like you come to Danbury, it's kind of like there's no, there's no like classes. It's like, we're all just one team and guys just went out and did their thing. It was like, kind of like one big freestyle out there. It's, it's pretty funny now that I think about it. So going back, you, you had mentioned uh, Brent Gretzky and uh, I know that the documentary highlighted that a little bit, but I'm sitting here wondering, First of all, what was the idea to even go after Brent Gretzky and how the hell did you get him for your first player? Well, I'll be, I'll be completely, completely honest with you. And I have a really good memory. I don't exactly remember where, like, I don't know where his name came across the desk, like that he was available. I, I really don't remember, but I just remember my dad being like, that's a guy we have to announce first. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, so we, we, we ended up, I think my dad just made a deal with him, and, you know, we ended up talking to him, great guy. And, uh, you know, I remember slowly leaking it to media outlets that we signed Gretzky and this and that. And, and, uh, people just, you know, they were confused, you know, thought it was a joke. You know, I wasn't lying. I mean, it was Gretzky. It just wasn't, you know, Wayne. So right. it was like one of those things where people were so intrigued, like what, like uh, you got, uh, uh kind of like a non-hotbed of, of Danbury starting a team and their first signing is Gretzky. People were so confused that they came to the press conference because they, they thought they were going to see Wayne Gretzky. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel bad because Brent's a great guy and he's actually, he was at the time a legitimately good player. Right. Yeah. yeah. But he, he knew, he knew why most people wanted him on the team and, and I actually have a lot of respect that he stuck with his hockey career as long as he did because I don't know if I could have dealt with that you know but uh he was he was in a big shadow for a, for a very very long time but uh he he was having a great season for us he hit some injury problems towards the end there and then uh the second year I don't know if he retired or he ended up going to a different league or something but that was really the end of it so we got to bring up the, uh, the the character that's Andrew's favorite character, T-Bone. Yeah, I love oh, yeah, Pompello, yeah. man. So Crazy. this guy is legit, a legit hockey guy and legit equipment manager and and and, and work for pro teams. So um, we'll get into some of the funny shenanigans for the listeners, but um, I would assume you leaned on him a lot saying, look, you've been in a hockey organization, so you know, you know, the pyramid, the hierarchy, uh, you know, what, how much did you lean on this guy? Because, you know, I'm assuming your dad didn't know how to run a hockey team. So you're kind of like, okay, I got to run a hockey team, go to T-Bone. Yeah. yeah I mean, a hundred percent, especially the, the, especially the, the going into the first season, he was definitely a pretty integral part. I mean, 
it's scary to say that that's your main source because he's a nut job, but that was our main source, you know, and, and he, you know, especially, especially in the minor league systems, he'd been around so much that at least we had like a compass, right? Like, okay, this guy, that guy, this guy. And, um, you know, he, we definitely, and I know I personally, you know, kind of leaned on him a lot and, you know, going into the first season and, um, you know, even, even beyond it, but, you know, thankfully as we got rolling and stuff through the first season, you know, you start making your own contact, you start, you know, figuring your way, but he was, he was, um, you know, he was always part of the team, obviously, but he was really, um, he was really important going into that inaugural year for sure. hundred percent. So on an organization standpoint, I know in the ECHL, uh, you know, there's transactions every day. And a lot of the GMs or the coaches that are director of players, uh, they're wheeling and dealing daily. Uh, did you have to do any of that? Or were you just like, hey, we're doing our own thing. We're good. Take me out of the email chain. 100%. I mean, I, I almost, almost immediately when we announced this team, because we're about an hour north of New York City. So almost immediately, we, we kind of were approached by the NHL to become an affiliate of the Islanders. So what they wanted was, you know, you had, you know, the New York Islanders, then you had Bridgeport Sound Tigers in the AHL, which is 40 minutes from us. And they kind of wanted us to be part of that organization. And to be honest with you, we kind of, we were like, no, we don't want to do that. You know, I mean, we're like, we're like, now nah, we're, we were like, now nah, we're good. You know, we're going to do our own thing. And uh, I think they were a little uh, befuddled, I guess is a good word. And they were yeah. like, they were, and we just were like, no, nah, I mean, what are we going to be in the middle of a playoff hunt? And then you're going to just handpick three, four of our guys and, and right. you know, never. But listen, I mean, there were situations where um, we never would ha- hold the player back. There were situations where we um, during the first year, if we knew a guy had an opportunity to move up. We let him, you know, it wasn't like you know, oh, if it's not benefiting us, it's not going to benefit you. We let guys move up. Um, if, if, if there was like an independent way, like if they had sources that they could get, but we didn't have a, a, a official affiliation with anyone. And we, we, we really didn't want that anyway. So when you, and we can, I guess we can get a story in here with a, a, a T-bone story. So we heard everything from, uh, you know, uh, small towels to fish in the heating vents to turning off the hot water. What we found, AJ, with, uh, you know, us talking to our our players from all the pro levels, that's actually not uncommon. So T-Bone actually, I think, is taking a little, he might've taken it too far, but shit like that happened. You know, we hear stories of uh, shortening benches, shortening locker rooms where players have to get dressed out in the in the hallway and take yeah, turns yeah. and the toilets are backed up. Uh, but uh, with anything that wasn't, in, uh, can you give us a story that's not in a documentary that would be funny of, of you and Tebow just, just screwing with the other team, just messing with their mind. I mean, I mean, to, to be honest with you, I mean, I'll be honest with you. And I told Netflix the same thing. There are definitely stories I won't ever tell. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, listen, you know, I know the statute of limitation is long gone, but still it's one of those things where, you know, I'm old fashioned that way, I guess. But I mean, I will say, I mean, we used to, we used to, you know, get numbers of opposing players, you know, call and, 
you know, you know, you know, say things about their girlfriend, never a wife. We never, we never, we never, um, we never touched players that had wives, but the girlfriends we would, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we did have a little honor, you know, we, we never would, we, we, we wouldn't go there if we knew a guy had a wife, but a girlfriend, we would, uh, sometimes get their number, sometimes get the girl's number. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, like I said, I mean, I know Netflix kind of gave like the Disney world version of stuff, but there was some, there was some, uh, there was some interesting things and it's almost better in a way in retrospect that we didn't have a third season because we were always trying to one up what we were doing. Right. And if we had a third season, there's no doubt there was definitely going to be more arrests made a hundred percent. If we had a third season. So you, you torment, you know, he probably thought he was tormenting you, but you tormented that commissioner, that little bald guy. <laughs> you know bro yeah yeah and it's and it's just funny it's like you know it's almost like this old school uh you know grumpy neighbor you know and he's yelling yeah. at you okay mr so-and-so we won't play we won't play ball so the ball won't go on the lawn and the ball goes through the friggin' window and then he loved you guys which was the well, shocking part but, of it all. but but yeah <laughs> but, but here's my part it's like okay so he suspends you as a gm he suspends t-bone so t-bone just gets another title <laughs> yeah i mean he's, listen he's he's the assistant to the executive assistant to the manager you know hey listen you know you gotta listen you always find a way there's always a solution you know i mean uh you know listen you got to be very specific i mean you suspended him as an equipment manager it doesn't mean he can't be in the front office it doesn't mean he can't be a janitor even you know what i mean so we we find we find ways man and i still call him mr brussel that's my guy I, i've always you hit it right on the head it was like a um a 90s sitcom like you know the bad kid in school but it's a lovable guy and you got the principal driving him nuts that's really what our relation but he I knew in my heart he loved us. It's just he couldn't be biased. He he had a job to do. And, uh, oh, man, I mean, I used to, when I tell you literally once, maybe twice a week, I would get ripped by him. He'd call me. He'd be ripping me and mad about this. But they couldn't, they couldn't, a lot of the stuff he was mad about, he technically couldn't prove. So it was just like, I'm like, Mr. Brussel, what do you want me to do? I don't know. I, I'll look into it, you know? And, uh, you know, he used to be like, no, you know, you know, you're lying to me. And I, I was like, I don't know, you know? And uh, it, it's, uh, man, we used to, oh, God. He had a little hair on his head when we dealt with him. But when we left, he was totally bald. God. <laughs> so so when you gave T-Bone his, his new uh, title and he's, he's in the, the next game and he's there, did, did uh, the – the commission, I call you and go, what the fuck are you doing? This is not allowed. And you go, yeah, it is. He, he showed, he had like, when he got suspended, basically, you know, essentially the wording was, you know, you're suspended from the bench. You can't be the equipment manager, but you know, it was kind of like, all right, we'll just come up to the box, you know, the owner box, you know what I mean? And, you know, we, you just find a way you, 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 you know, you place people where they gotta be. And if there's an issue, you, you know, replace them here, there, but uh, yeah, no, they weren't too happy about that. So what about when they suspended you as a GM? I think it was what, for 30 days, they said you weren't even allowed in your building. 
you had to have found a way in the well, damn building. Let right? me ask this, and, and I don't know the stat. Maybe AJ does. Has there ever been another GM that's been suspended? I mean, maybe there is, but I don't know. Typically, I, I, I mean, listen, I would love to say I'm the only one with that distinction. I don't know. I would like, you know, that's a good question. I'd like to find that out. But I got to be the youngest GM ever suspended. So I got <laughs> something going. <laughs> so you go on and you're, you're signing big players. And I'm surprised players like Morasti wasn't mentioned. I mean, he's an animal yeah. for all, you know, minor league you know, fans know him. How do how are you getting linked up with these guys? I mean, were you just pick up the phone, looking and dialing? I mean, truth, what was your process in calling these guys, and who were the most uh, difficult to convince to come over? I mean, what what was the experience like? It, well, to be to be honest with you, the you know going into our first season before we even played a game was very difficult because anytime you're a startup with anything in business, it could be a print shop. People don't, you don't have a track record. So people are a little leery. Um, I, I never dealt with the money, but allegedly there was some money being thrown around that made it easy for some guys. I don't know. But what happened was after maybe a quarter of the way through the first season, guys were seeing what we were really about and, and what we were building. And it went from us chasing people to people chasing us. And um, getting to Marassi, for instance, and um, yeah, it is a shame. Unfortunately, you know, we had so many characters on that team, but with the 85 minute documentary, they can only fit so many people, which, which kind of sucks. But, you know, with a Marassi, a, a perfect example is after Brad Wingfield got hurt. Um, I mean, that totally like took the air out of our tires. It was, it was tough, but um, I remember I met a gentleman. Um, I, I met a gentleman maybe a week later at the Danbury ice arena, you know, before a game, I would go down, meet with section one Oh two. We'd, you know, talk and, you know, you meet, you meet with people. And uh, this guy came up to me, you know, sorry to hear about Wingfield, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I know you guys have a lot of toughness as it is, but I got a guy for you if you want. And um, he told me about John and I didn't know about him. And this was really before the days of YouTube, right? Like now I'll just go on and YouTube and see who he is. But he's like, listen, you know, I'm going to send you a box uh, of his tapes this week. So I said, all right, I gave him my address. And um, like a day or two later, I get a box, all VHS tapes, you know, I throw them in. And it's actually in the East Coast League. It's actually John playing for the Bakersfield Condors, I think was their names. Yep. And, um, you know, little guy you know, built like a fire hydrant and he's having these like marathon fights. Like they felt like they were an hour long and he's smiling. He, he his, his hand speed is incredible. And I said, dad, I, I got a replacement for Brad while he's out. You know, this is the guy. And um, I remember we made a deal and um, he came to us and I mean, it just like, we, we thought like losing Wingfield and then ultimately room and ender because he got suspended basically the rest of the season after that game. Um, John came in and picked up the slack and I mean, he was, uh, he was something to watch, man. He was a force. I mean, his head's the size of a watermelon. I mean, you can't hurt that guy. You know I mean? He, um, he is, he was unbelievable. And uh, really, I mean, even after the trashers, he had a pretty storied career, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I like to think that it, we were like kind of a springboard for that for him.
but he was he was unbelievable. So let's say you know you're on the phone and maybe allegedly maybe some money being offered, whatever. Was there ever a point, maybe an agent or a player going, damn Barry, all all these things, you know, like did they ever be like, I don't believe this? I mean, it kind of had it'd be like too good to be true type situation for some of these oh, things. Yeah. So, I mean, was anybody I ever mean, like, what the hell is this? Yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, I think uh, you know I was talking to him recently too. I think we try to get Georges Larocque, uh, who oh, was playing yeah. with Edmonton at the time. And I think he kind of was like thinking it was a joke. Right. And when I was talking to him a few weeks, as a matter of fact, that's his jersey right there. Oh, so nice. He sent me a jersey. And when we were talking, he was like, man, he said, I should have came. I should have came. I said, I told you. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, there was definitely people that were like, what the hell? Like, you know, especially in the beginning, you know, like after like we got rolling, people knew we were serious and for real. But in the beginning, people were like, where's Danbury? Like no one knew where we were. Um, you know, uh, it was just crazy, man. You know, it was it was and I don't blame them. And then the people that did come, you know, their initial reaction was always funny. They'd see me and my dad and they'd be like, what is going on? And and uh, but, you know, we were we were we were lucky enough to, you know, you know, my dad, especially I learned from him. He, he was able to convince these guys and let them see the big picture, what we were trying to build. And uh, it was amazing. Well, yeah. As you know, since we're dialed into the East coast league, it's so important. Like players don't want to go to, you know, Iowa or, you know, some town that they've never heard of, especially, you know, if they're yeah. some farm boy from Saskatchewan. And yeah you got to develop a culture around the team for the players to actually attract them. Are they going to be pissed off because they're being shipped off to, you know, who God knows where. So the documentary, I don't know how true it is or if they played it up, but it seemed like the culture of the players were, look, you guys as an organization took great care of them. Uh, in return, they gave you everything they had. It seemed like the locker room wasn't just business. It was more like almost like a, beer league uh high school game of yeah. you got to get them riled up and get going and get out there and they were just like yeah hell yeah let's go out and do it let's listen you know yeah 100 me and my dad had no sports management you know background right but the players are your product okay and i don't like to say the word product because they're not items they're people but that's your product and um it's kind of like if, if you're in the garbage industry and you have one truck, are you going to beat your truck up and, and not maintain it? I mean, listen, I know we were over the salary cap by how much. I don't know. I didn't deal with it. But you ex if you really first of all. If, if people think not every team was on the cap salary cap, they're out of their right. mind. But right. that's neither. That's not our business. We, we did what we did. Here's the thing. If you break out the salary cap, what they said was a salary cap, you're talking about the average player. If all of them are getting paid equally, which they weren't, some guys are better players. You're telling me you expect a guy, a professional athlete, some with family to survive on 210 bucks a week. Right. That's crazy. So, right. I mean, if, if people want to fault us for <laughs> taking care of our guys and making sure their babies had diapers. Sure. Go ahead. And uh, that's fine. But um, it was more than that. Like you said, the locker room, I mean, um, you know, I knew going in as a 17 year old, 
I, it was going to be doubly hard for me to gain their respect. So, you know, I wasn't like a rah, rah, rah guy. I was more like, all right, let me keep my mouth shut. Let me earn their respect quietly. And, you know, I did things like we had two PlayStations in the locker room, right? So what we would do is, you know, I got, you know, I mean, we got on the same level. We'd be playing, we'd be having tournaments, we'd be doing this, and uh, we bonded that way, you know? And, um, you know, look, I've been in, prof- you know, I've seen professional sports. Um, when the games are done, guys want to just go home, you know what I mean? They're done, they, they change. Our guys, we, we had to, like, kick them out of the locker room. Because they were like, they liked being like, we, we luckily had such an amazing chemistry where the, 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 an average home game, they'd finish, they'd shower, they'd change, they'd go out, sign some autographs, give some stuff out. Then they'd come back and we'd be playing PlayStation or we'd be watching something or bullshitting with each other. I mean, that's the team we had. And, um, we were very lucky, but they fed off of, um, you know, my dad set such a great example of how he wanted to lead. And um, they felt it. They felt like, Hey, these guys are, they're like us, you know, we're not suit and tie guys. Um, nothing against suit and ties. I like suits, but we weren't like dressing up and we were one of them and, and they, um, they felt it. So bring us to, I mean, the documentary again, is only so much time to cram in two years. Um, uh, a lot of home games, but take us through what's it, what was the team? I mean, basically it's like slap shot, right? Charlestown Chiefs. What's it like when the team's going to your away team and you, you're, they're fighting at least a minimum of three fights a game. I'm sure they're the most hated visiting team. Did T-Bone go and did he do his bullshit on the road as well? I mean, and, and did you get to go or you're like 17, 18, years old and your mom's like telling your dad like hey he's not he's not going on the fucking road with this team well listen i'm proud to say that i don't know if this is an official statistic but i am proud to say that i'm more than likely the first gm of a professional sports team that's mother told him he can't go on the road that i do know i have i mean i'd be shocked if there's another gm in the world in the past that their mom put their foot down and said, you can't go on the bus. Listen, I went to a few away games, but, but in all seriousness, I did have college and I was so like, right. You know, I I was, I was so busy with stuff that even if I wanted to go on the road, which I did, I probably wouldn't have been able to realistically, but my mom wasn't having that, believe me. And uh, you know what it was? It was just like, we talked about creating this character when our bus rolled up, you know, that black bus, I mean, you could see it from a mile away. I mean, 20 miles away, really. And uh, when we pulled up, it was like, you know, it's like those Western movies where like the bad guy comes into the saloon and everything goes quiet. And uh, we, we, we definitely had a presence for sure. Definitely. And yes, team, you know, you know, you know who I think is a great character that uh, would have been perfect for the doc was our bus driver. So our bus driver was actually one of my dad's truck drivers and uh, biker type guy has the biker look to him. And uh, <laughs> I know for a fact he has some funny stories and uh, you know, I, I see him every once in a while. And, uh, but listen, we prided ourselves on being just as tough on the road as we were at home. We couldn't be hypocrites. So I, I guess, as a, be honest, I want to get back to this commission. 
Uh, is it true that, look, your dad's a busy guy, and I'm sure, uh, you know, he bought the team for, I, I think I read about a half a million dollars, or whatever. So he's running the team. But your dad's a successful businessman. He's got other fish to fry, other things to do. And he's got, you know, this little commissioner guy, oh, this is happening. And is it true your dad was just like, hey, look, if you're just going to find us, can I just keep like a, a deposit? You just yep. take it and do me a favor. Call AJ. Don't call me. Yes, we did basically put like a retainer, like a lawyer's retainer. We, we my dad, he got he kind of got sick of the weekly calls. And it, that's a very true story. I, I don't know the exact amount I could find out. But I remember that first season, especially, he just wired money over. He's like, listen, just deduct when you got to deduct. And, and, and um, you know, and, and that's what it was. That's a very true story. And, and uh, it, it's just as I get older, it's more and more unbelievable. But that's a true story. He just got tired because the cycle here's how the cycle would go. You know, we played our games mostly on weekends. So. Monday morning, I get the call first from Brussel. He's mad. I did this. We did that. We're going to suspend you, all this stuff, fine you. <laughs> then he'd call my dad. And uh, so finally, I remember one, one day my dad called me on a Monday night. He's like, listen, I told Richard, I wired him over. I forget X, Y, Z. And, you know, I told him just to talk to you. Don't even bother calling me. And, and that's what that's what happened. And uh, I'm pretty sure we, I'm pretty sure we ran that fun pretty dry quick too. So I think, unfortunately, we had to add to it. So uh, I, I do. Was there ever anybody because somebody had to have gotten pissed off at one point and just was tired of you guys' shit? Was there anybody that ever challenged you guys? Or maybe went over the bench, wanted a piece of you. And I'm not talking about um, that GM story, but more specifically the Pierre Luc LeBlanc story. So Pierre-Luc LeBlanc, he, so Adirondack was our arch rival, right? So after our first season, Adirondack knew, all right, well, we're going to have to bring in some toughness. We're playing Danbury, you know, 20 times. So they brought in Pierre-Luc and uh, we had some fun banter back and forth. He never challenged in terms of physically challenged me, but he would be on the bench and he'd chirp back at me. I'd chirp back at him. But I always had great respect for him. And, and I knew, I knew he was going to go, you know, farther. I knew he was, you know, I didn't, did I know he was going to make the NHL? You know, you don't know, but I knew he wasn't going to stay too long at that level of a league because he could actually skate, play, um, physical, <coughs> great guy. He would have been a good trasher too. So um, we want to kind of wrap up because we, you're a super busy guy and we're appreciative of, of your time. Um, I just a couple quick questions. So it seems to me that you guys were, and even though you, you approached it, I think at first, like we talked about more of an entertainment thing, but all of a sudden it works and you got a balance of goal scores, uh, checkers, enforcers. You got a team that's bonded together. Um, you know, you got a system that's obviously working. I mean, look at your stats, the team's winning, almost winning the, the cup the second the second year yeah. but it, when you when you fast forward to uh, the nhl playoffs today if you don't have a team that's intimidating that has the toughness you're not going to win the cup it period so it seems you know they're going to wear you out in four seasons you know by starting to, uh, the first round 
to the Stanley Cup Finals, they're going to beat you up and you're done. Well, you know, you know, obviously hockey, you know, the NHL is a little different. It's a lot more skilled, but you cannot not have those grinders, those gritty guys, because, you know, an NHL playoff, every game in the NHL playoff is like probably 10 regular season games. That's how much energy, you know, you expend. And uh, you need these tough guys, these grinders that can last that long. Because, uh, you know, if, if, if these guys, you know, I've seen it. I've seen teams with all these skilled players. After a few games in the playoffs, they're spent. You know, they they look like they're broken almost. You know, they they just you need guys that are willing to just blood, sweat, and tears, get their nose dirty if needed, um, and grind it out. You have to. It's um, you know, I've always been a you know, I've always been a proponent to the physical side of hockey, obviously, and uh, I know fighting is kind of been thrown to the to the wayside a bit but i think um i'm hoping this trasher documentary is rubbing off because i've heard already that up into you know the nhl this season has had more fights up to this point than it's had in a while so i like to pretend that they've watched the doc and, and they see in what may or may not work you never know so last question i do want to ask you aj so let's say no rests are made, even, you know, if you guys have the next third season, you guys are still trying to one up what you guys were doing. If you guys were to continue to be a team up until 2021 with the game changed the way it is, would you have kept or tried to keep that same strategy and knowing that that's a winning formula, have that balance of tough guys, or would you have just started following suit and just we need good speed? You know, we don't need tough guys anymore. What would you, what do you think? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think with any business, you have to adjust with the times. If you're going to stay alive, you, you, I think the biggest problem is a lot of people are not willing to adjust and you could not have a team that we had in 04, 05, 06 in 2021. Uh, it's just not possible for two reasons. Number one, the game is totally different. And number two, Players aren't like that anymore. These players aren't being brought up in the juniors like where it's, you know, it, they're not being bred that way. So coming through the pipeline, there's not as many players that fit that old mold. However, 100%, I mean, I would. there are still guys out there today that um, can do everything, that can grind and uh, – you know, throw their body around, you know what I mean? And if you throw your body around enough, you're going to get into the fights and the skirmishes that that's going to happen naturally. Um, I don't think you could have a guy anymore where he's on the fourth line and you send him out once a period to fight, you know, I mean, those days unfortunately are over, but you find a way to adjust. You, you know, you look, um, there's, there's plenty of misfits out there. You just got to look. Right. So you've, Moved on, and uh, I think now, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you've been into boxing, you've got a gym, you're training, you're managing careers, um, and seem to be doing pretty well. So how is that going for you at the moment? I mean, yeah, I mean, boxing, I've been, it's crazy to think, like, I've been in boxing now 10 and a half years, which is insane. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is, I wasn't even a boxing fan growing up. I mean, I didn't, I don't even think I still like boxing that much, but what happened was I just found myself like with the trashers 
I always just seem to find myself in these chaotic situations where I just somehow end up in a situation where I'm managing a boxer's career out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I had no intentions of ever doing this, but you know, I have a very obsessive personality. I start getting into it. You know, we, my, my gym champs boxing club, I'm here now. Um, you know, we've been open six and a half years. Um, it's fun because I like working with the kids. We have a nonprofit, you know, we help the kids with school, stuff like that. And frankly, it's a, it's a hell of a workout. I mean, we deal with a lot of pro fighters and stuff like that. Amateur fighters, guys that aspire to be pro girls too. But, um, I like ultimately kind of like with the trashers trying to form like a culture, try to form a community and, um, just trying to build, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I, I learned from my father. I'm definitely a builder. You know what I mean? So we, we just try to do what we can. So I know boxing is a serious business, but, uh, I remember looking, uh, maybe it was a YouTube clip or something of one of your boxers and you're the manager and you're walking in the ring with them. And I'm just thinking, reading the documentary and, and the whole wrestling thing, you know, when you walk into that squared ring, man, it, it you kind of feel like that little Lou Albano coming out in you. You know, you got to like, you, I you wanted to, do it. I, let me tell you, the first time I walked into the ring, it was like I was the only one in the arena. I wanted to jump off the top rope, to be honest with you. <laughs> and um, no, one million percent. I mean, you know, my gym, you know, it's funny because pro wrestling will never die. Like anytime a little kid comes into the, my gym for the first time, I see their eyes light up because they see the ring. And I know they just want to just start running the ropes, but it's a different type of ring. So I'm warning them, don't do that because there's not a lot of cushion on this floor, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, listen, I, I remember the first time I was in a ring, a boxing ring, I just was like, I want to just go off hell in a cell or something. You know what I mean? That's all. That's all. Uh, that's uh, that's still the dream. I, I, that's still the dream. I, I hope this story gets big enough where WWE wants me to come in for one night only as a bad guy and they could toss me through a table. I'll do it for free. It doesn't matter to me. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, it's uh, so now you've got newfound fame. I'm assuming. I mean, this thing's got to be number one on Netflix. Uh, and of course, they marketed it great. You know, the team that put this together uh, and uh, it's got to be number one. But are you now starting to uh, get calls from uh, any, um, you know, Hollywood type? Uh, you know what I'm saying? The, the, yeah. the movie business. Are you getting any calls from that and have to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm doing my thing with with boxing. Legit. It's, it's so it's such a weird thing because it's almost three years to the day where I got approached by the way brothers who produced the whole untold um, documentaries, all five episodes. And uh, to be honest with you, I, since the team, since the team, we lost the team in 06, I hadn't watched hockey. I, I wanted nothing to do with hockey. Not that it was hockey's fault, but it was like PTSD. I didn't want to deal with it. And uh I ignored the emails from this guy. I was just like, eh, 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 he was persistent. He was like a nagging girlfriend. I mean, he wouldn't stop bothering me. So finally I called him and he's like, listen, he, he's like, give me 90 seconds to pitch this to you. And he told me he wanted to do this documentary. Um, Netflix contracted him and his brother, you know, beep, bop, bop. So I said, you know, I don't know. I talked to my dad about it and uh, we kind of were on the fence about it, you know, cause you know, 
unfortunately, this story, it brings a lot of other stuff involved. So we're like, yeah, let's just forget it. But he kept persisting. He's like, no, we have to have it. I have to have this doc. Finally, my dad and I said, listen, we lost a team like that. We didn't have some sort of ceremonialist goodbye. Let's put the story to bed. All we've done is kind of, it's not to bed now. I mean, it's like, almost, it's almost like I basically have a new full-time job because it's like, when I tell you every day, it's like, I never, I never in a million years would have expected to blow up like this. And, um, I'm a very humble individual and I don't expect people to even know who I am. And I go, I, you know, I travel for boxing. I travel. I mean, last week I was in Los Angeles for something and I had people that came up to me like, Oh my God, like, Oh, let me get a picture. And then I'm like, (laughs) you don't, you don't, you don't ever think of yourself like that, you know? And it's just like the amount of people and the, and different demographics. It's not just hockey fans. It's like, um, so many different people, they tell me the same thing. Oh, I'm not even a hockey fan, but I watched it and it's awesome and this and that. It's the most humbling experience I've ever been a part of. And um, more so, I'm happy for my father because he kind of like, um, in a way, I think it's been a redemption story for him. And uh, I- I'm just happy. I mean, it's just been humbling. I- I'm trying to just enjoy every moment. I'll do any podcast. Like I said, I mean, uh, I'm just very humbled by, by just the, the love for this team. And the logo is now becoming something more than just a hockey team. People want the logo because they, they feel like it represents something bigger. And I'm like, what is this, like a Batman logo? Like, I mean, you never would think like, um, you never would think. You just, if you're humble, you never think something like this could happen. And it's just been, it's been insane. Are, are you, I mean, it sounds like you're embracing the, the trashers again because, hey, you, on a business sense, you're going to make money too with, with the merchandise. And like you say, it's, it's come beyond just the hockey team. But are you prepared for the red carpets? Are you going to go? Are you going to have to get with your dad and, and T-Bone or, or some of your friends and go, hey, I need a gimmick, man, if I'm going to be going all these Hollywood things and red carpet, like the Don Cherry suit? That's a good idea, actually. That's a really good idea. I mean, you know what? I'm just having so much fun with it. I mean, this is like, it's just so, and it's really, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, there is some money to be made with merchandise and stuff like that. But to be honest with you, just the experiences I've learned in life, at the end of the day, the money is great, you know, if it's there. But to be able to be hopefully an old man in a rocking chair one day with these stories at the end of the day, I've learned that's what matters. And, and these experiences are something um, these past eight, nine weeks have been the wildest eight, nine weeks in a row I've ever had in my life. I mean, I can't even describe it. And it's like, um, I don't even know what to say. It's just, it's super humbling. Are you prepared for young people to kind of, read up on your story, your bio, look at all the things that you've done, and especially now with the boxing thing, and go, hey, this guy's got such a creative solutions to everything. Because you really are. Like you said, you didn't know nothing about boxing. Now you're knee deep into boxing. So you kind of prepared for people to kind of analyze and go, hey, I need, uh, uh, you know, what do you do? How do you come up with these ideas? What do you, you, is it opportunities are you just, and you might even have people asking that. I don't know, but I would imagine you can get a lot of young people going, 
hey, what's your secret to coming up with solutions and never saying no for an answer, taking no? Listen, I wish I had some like uh, real intelligent way to answer that. I don't know where I people are calling me a genius and this, and I'm like, I am far from a genius. You know what I mean? Like people are like, you're a marketing genius. I'm like, I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? Like I just, I just, honestly, I don't know. I just do things. I don't, I don't try to think too much about it and I'm not afraid to screw up. And listen, this was a very balanced documentary. I think it, it shined a good light on us, you know, ultimately, but I mean, look, I mean, if you really probe through my history, I've made mistakes. I've, I've done ideas that flopped. I mean, you can't, that's the best learning is when you fail, that's the ultimate learning tool. And uh, I tell these kids, I deal with kids all the time. And it's like, uh, it's a weird role reversal right now, because when I grew up, I was always around my dad and the guys and in hockey, I was a 17 year old kid. I was always the kid. I was always the youngest in the room. Now with these kids, I'm the older one. So it's like, now I'm the one giving quote unquote wisdom and this and that. And it's like, I tell these kids, don't be afraid to screw up because that's how you're going to learn, you know, how to do it better. Or you're going to see what you're made of because are you going to fold or are you going to fight for it? You know, and that's, that's really, I just, I think of an idea. I throw it up on my board. Okay. And I just do it i just uh, how do we do it and uh you do figure it out and that's it you know it's it's uh it's you know it's just i tell people you know i went to college i was lucky enough to have that experience uh you know i i'm glad i had that experience but on the job training you know uh learning the hard way those are the that's you can't beat that education and i was fortunate enough to have a father that was not afraid to give me opportunities I didn't even deserve. And, and that's why I like, that's why I was drawn to your guys' podcast, you know, father, son. And I'm like, you know what, that's awesome. It's an awesome experience. Um, you know, I'm not a father yet, God willing, but, um, you know, you, you just, you do the best you can. And, and uh, sometimes I used to get mad with my dad because I'm like, I'm not ready for this. And you're just throwing me in there, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened because um, you just learn, you learn to swim. And, Listen, if you're in the deep end and you see a shark, your adrenaline, you're going to just start swimming. You, you may not know how to swim, but you, you'll find out right away. <laughs> good point. Yeah, really good. At the end of the day with the whole uh, trashers, uh, particularly with you and your dad, you know, and, and again, it, 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 it would like we get it, father and son thing to do. Um, <clears throat> a lot of ups and downs. At the end of the day, especially with this thing now blowing up, do you and your dad kind of feel like, you know what? I'm so glad we did that. And is your dad dealing with, seems like your dad, uh, just by the documentary, uh, humble guy, hard worker, likes that people know who he is um, and respect him, but doesn't want to be in the spotlight. He doesn't need the spotlight. So how is he handling? We know how you're handling the spotlight. How is he handling the spotlight? I think he, listen, my, my dad's been through just about every situation imaginable. So he's like, when you talk about a guy that you want to learn how to get poised from, it's him. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he, people come up to him, you know, pictures, this, he, he'll do it. You know, he's not gonna be like, Oh, I don't take pictures. You know, he, he, but I told him 
the day before Netflix came out, August 30th, I said to him, dad, I don't know how this thing's going to take off. It might flop. It might do good. Do you want me personally to keep pushing this story, keep doing these podcasts, keep doing this? And he said, yeah, do it. So my dad's not going to do stuff like that. So I'm like, all right, if that's what you want, you know, you just put the team on your back and, and you, you know, you do these things. And uh, I think it's an important story for a few reasons, not because it's us. I think one of the things I'm proud of is uh, so many people I know around my age or older say, you know, when I watch this documentary, I physically and mentally felt like I was back in 2004. You know what I mean? Like you miss those days, right? Like we're always worried about next, next, next. I mean, we're living in a crazy world right now. Um, a crazy world. So it's like, in my opinion, at least. And, uh, you know, if this 85 minutes of a documentary gets people into a forget all the craziness going on in 2021, and it, it kind of gives like a like it's kind of like a um, time capsule into what it used to be, the simpler times and, you know, grittiness and, and you know, being unapologetically you. I mean, I think people like that. I've had young kids come up to me and be like, oh, I wish I was around. I mean, I got kids in my gym born in 2008 telling me, oh, I wish, I wish I was alive then. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, yeah, I wish I was alive then, you know? And it's like, uh, that's a cool compliment because I think we, I think as a society, we've gotten a little, gotten a little loopy on all, a lot of different things. So if this little documentary gives people some sort of outlet or a break for 85 minutes from this nutty world we're living in, that's, that's, that's cool. That's a cool thing. Well, listen, I'll end it with this. So, you know, from a father's perspective, you know, Andrew's 24 and he's, you know, I made him go to college just to go to that experience, get a degree and yeah. all that. And now he's an owner of a, a marijuana dispensary that he, he, you know, six months ago, and he's had to do what he's had to do. Um, and I can't be more proud of him because of the, like you said, the hard yeah. work, but I can imagine your dad is super proud of you with, uh, Everything that, you know, you could have just taken any job or any, and you've, you've just taken anything, like you said, I've got an idea, I want to work it out, I want to do it. And it just seems like it's, it's working out for you. And now even more of this documentary, you know, you're, you're a dog star, whether you like it or not, you're now, you know, <laughs> probably going to have to have all these other things. And it might even try to disrupt what you're doing. And you might have to say, hey, I, I, I can't do this. But I tell yeah, you it's, what, it's if you tough. do- it's been tough. If you do, you know, if you start having to do that Hollywood thing, uh, you know, if you if you have something really good, a good gimmick, uh, like like do this or something to the camera once and let us know that we we helped turn you on to that idea. <laughs> Listen, if, if it ever got to that, I'll, I'll have to consult with you guys on an outfit and uh, I'll make sure that I make sure I give the thumbs up for sure. Awesome. So we can't thank you enough, AJ. We know you got to run. Um, We'll say goodbye off air, but uh, we just want to thank you for uh, your time here today. It's been great. Hopefully you had a good time. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. Wow. What a what an interview for us because it's hockey related, uh, but yet it's, you know, he's got the number one Netflix documentary. Right. And, and like I said, uh, he came on our podcast, so we're so appreciative. And look. People can argue, you know, you watch the documentary and you listen to some podcasts. Maybe some people don't give AJ as much credit because, you know, they may be allegedly had some more money being offered to certain players and whatnot. But 
you got to still, I mean, the guy's really humble. You got to tip your hat off to AJ between the marketing, the GM and getting those players, man, regardless, that had to be tough. And he did it and he was good at it, man. Yeah. I mean, they went to the, uh, the finals their second year and uh, you know, they were gearing up towards that third year and then, you know, then everything imploded, like he said, with the, with the law and everything else. So, uh, you know, it, I think there's unfinished business there, but, you know, I don't think they're ever going to own a hockey team, but uh, definitely an infamous uh, team. And, well, I shouldn't say infamous now, famous team. Um, I don't remember hearing about the Trashers, but around no. that time, I mean, you were little, you were like six or eight, and I was busy at work, so I wasn't tied into all that as well. Right. What, what, a, what a great documentary. We uh, definitely want to plug it again. What is it called? Untold Crimes and Penalties. Yeah, I mean, you can't miss it. It's and, under a whole, it's a five, like, series of documentaries. Yeah. It's, you got the Caitlyn Jenner thing in there. The yeah, Mouse of the Palace. But this, on, is this, is the, the, this is the one you want to This see. is the one. So check it out if you haven't yet. Also check out AJ's gym and whatnot if you're in the area. We want to support him as much as possible. And uh, Yeah, check out his He's got a really legit thing going that he's built there in 10 years. And it'll be interesting to see where they go for now. So uh, we'll leave it here to everybody. We're running a little bit long. We want to thank you for your support. Uh, we're going to get back to uh, uh, a bunch of players, actually. And we also have uh, 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 our first VP of uh, the Hershey Bears that we're going to be releasing, the, the Helmer interview. So uh, we got a lot of things coming. Thank you guys very, very much. And we wish you all the best.